0: everyone, to the latest episode of the Northern Spin Podcast. My name's Michael Taylor, and as always, I'm joined by the cheeky chappy from Chorley, the ever so slightly more northern Chris McGuire.
1: Yeah, thanks very much, Michael. Um, I do feel more northern. More details to come about my attempts to try and become more northern later. Now, it's been another massive week. I was going to say huge, but massive is bigger than huge for the Northern Spin Podcast. We hit a record, wait for this, six spots in Apple's podcasts below the likes of BBC's AmeriCast and Nick Robinson as well. We also remain 12th in Bahrain.
0: Never mind who we were behind. Who were we ahead of?
1: Um, well, <laughs> You asked me a tough question, oh, there, actually. Any, um, any questions on the BBC? Yeah, I think they were below us as well, actually. Yeah. But actually, and you'll like this, that there's a series of podcasts on Radio 5 Live called Boris about your mate Boris, and we were ahead of them. Why is is
0: he my mate and not your mate? Well,
1: you don't like him being called Boris. You like him to be called by his first name, his entire name. His name is Alexander De Peffel Johnson. Exactly, which you hate. Boris Um, is a
0: character that he
1: created. Well, we're above Boris. Good.
0: I like that. Okay, I knew you would. Yeah, good. Anyway, we are the faces of Northern Spin. We are the voices of Northern Spin, but we could not do this without our friends from What Media, particularly Sam Picton. Really great producers. They shoot this, record it, package it, get us on all the right platforms. Fantastic production company. And we literally couldn't do it without them, Chris.
1: Such, Such great partners. Absolutely, absolutely. And Sam's in the room now looking, you know, decidedly embarrassed. Is he? Yes, um, he, he is, absolutely. You're so focused He's on so the... so good, I don't you're even know You're so focused on the job. But we couldn't do it without our sponsors as well, Oscar Technology. Now, they have had a good week. They're the number one recruitment company to work for in the Northwest. It's one of the top 10 recruitment companies to work for in the UK. And Oscar is also the third best medium-sized recruitment company to work for in the UK. Bit of a niche claim that. Um, and I wonder who the top two are. But uh, as far as I'm concerned... Oscar Technology, the name you can trust. Fantastic.
0: Chris, I get no satisfaction whatsoever doing this. But um, before we get stuck into the politics, I've got to actually tell our listeners something that you did. I've got to out your behaviour. <laughs> well, what, what have I done wrong? So last Tuesday, you and I went to Prenton Park on the Wirral to see Tranmere Rovers against Stockport County in League Two. And there I was, an absolutely thrilling end-to-end game, although it was nil-nil, no goals scored. The game had goals written all over it. It was such an attacking game. And I turned to my right at 85 minutes, and there were you standing up and shaking hands and getting ready to leave. It's the first time you've ever... What on
1: earth is that all about? It's the first time you've ever turned to your right, to be honest with you. But in fairness, what I would say is you talk about Chances. There were no chances. It was no lack of endeavour, great hospitality, um, you know, really, really lovely bunch of people that we were with, but there were no chances. And if I'm right, I think it finished nil-nil as well. So it did finish nil-nil, but there were loads more chances after you went. But
0: not anyway, I can never leave a game early. No, well, I managed to get away. See, I've been, I've been haunted by this all my life because in 1977, 26th of December, me and my dad and a lot of other people went to see Burnley against Blackburn Rovers. And it's obviously t- Classico this Sunday at Turf Moor. Rovers were winning 3 0 at half time. We absolutely battered Burnley in the second half. We had a penalty just after half time, could have gone four nil up, and me and my dad left early. And it ended up three-two, and everyone to this day says, "Oh, yeah, it was a really close game that." And in my mind, it was never a close game. No, well, but I that's because to... I've had a false impression of how the game went.
1: But I always, I do, I do always leave a couple of minutes early if I think oh. I can dodge the traffic. But I'm not going to apologise for that, Michael. But what I am going All to apologise for? All fans who
0: left when Sergio Aguero. So they missed that, but they can always yeah. tell their grandchildren about the day they beat the traffic. They still...
1: <laughs> yeah, I did beat the traffic, actually. Now, so I'm not going to apologise for it. I beat the Liverpool traffic because they were coming in from their Champions League game as well. So I managed to dodge them at Switch Island, but the traffic caught up with me because the M61 access road at Wigan was uh, was closed. Right, we're getting uh, into so much detail yeah. now. Let's now, move on.
0: Come on. Now, Come
1: um, on. Um, I do need to apologise because in the uh, last last week's episode, I did say Liz Truss had been the Prime Minister for 49 days. It was, of course, 45 but
0: effectively, it was probably only about 20, wasn't it? Yeah. Because of the Queen's death. Yeah. And the fact that she was probably, you know...
1: We've wasted enough time already today. space. Absolutely. Co- yeah. So 45 days. Now, as always, we're going to start by talking national politics. And in a minute, we're going to get onto the, uh, the subject of the Northern Powerhouse Rail, which looks like it's hit the buffers once and for all. But before then, Michael, I'm going to play a little game. And I'm going to ask the ever-talented Sam to play the theme tune to I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here. Now, Michael... Thank you for agreeing to play the Bush Tucker Child. You've got to choose one of the two options. Are you ready to play? Is this what happens on this Yeah, <laughs> you don't watch it. I don't you don't watch, watch. it. It started know. on Sunday. I watched it. Yeah. Uh, keeping my company, uh, keeping my wife company. So, okay. So so I'm challenging you to play the Bush Tucker trial, Michael. Are you ready to play? Yes. Now, if you want to use the line, I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. You don't have to play this game. But I can't imagine you, leftist. Just, just get on okay. with it. Okay, right. Option number one, Michael. Do you want to eat a meal of cockroach pie? Followed by a kangaroo's penis, or that might be what you do in your spare time. Anyway, I don't know. Uh, Or, Michael, do you want to spend one hour in the company of Matt Hancock? What's it to be?
0: I'm going to go with option two. And I'll (laughs) tell you why, Chris. I have actually spent time in Matt Hancock's company at some Tory fringe meeting once, a bit of a round table with him in the Bridgewater Hall. Um, I would actually quite enjoy sitting down and telling him what I think of him, frankly. And I'd start by asking him what I'd ask any. Anyone who's served in the Tory government in these last twelve years, could you actually list to me what you've actually achieved in those twelve years? I'll wait. This decision, though, to go on to go into the jungle, I don't, I don't really want us to spend too much time talking about it. To be honest with you, it's yet another egregious example of the shallow stunts and ever-moving circus that represents this government. Well supposedly there is the serious business of governing that is going undone it actually it actually makes me quite angry
1: yeah it makes me angry too no and you can't defend it you can't defend yeah. it um, and what I didn't like about Matt Hancock with his mealy-mouthed explanation that he wants to raise a profile of his dyslexia campaign—that's no. embarrassing. Um, the producers have apparently agreed that Hancock can communicate with his team throughout the show if there's an urgent constituency matter. Ruben. So that must be reassuring to his clients. There's 400,000 reasons why Hancock's doing this. Um, yep. he, he, a few other reasons—he's got no chance of getting back in the government under Sunak, who incidentally has chastised him in the sun today. Um, I think it's a—and this is the bigger issue—it's a kick in the teeth to the families who lost loved ones uh, as a result of COVID-19 when he was a Secretary of State for Health. Yeah, but um, what
0: about the billions, not only that Sunak squandered during the pandemic, that all the all the, all the contracts that Hancock, when he was health secretary, handed out to his mates, the landlord of his local pub in Suffolk, who was getting PPE contracts. I saw a clip earlier today of him on the Robert Peston show with Jess Phillips, and she's highlighting the fact that there were manufacturing companies in her constituency in Birmingham who were desperate throw their factories open to supply and take part in the national effort to protect people in the NHS who were looking after people on those hospital wards and they couldn't get it. But somehow Matt Hancock's pub landlord did. And stuff like that, I just think, makes people really angry. And it, the mishandling of his uh, of his term as uh, health secretary well, was just scandalous.
1: Clearly you're not going to be watching... Uh, I'm a celebrity, but... No, I've um, got better things to do. But but somebody else, and something else that's uh, got me uh, irked this week is uh, Sir Gavin Williamson. I still can't get used to calling him sir. Just call him Williamson. Yeah, I'll call him Williamson. I'm not going to call him sir anymore. So Gavin, if you want to come on the show and defend yourself, feel free. But we're not going to call you sir Gavin anymore. In fact, what I might do is I might send him a text message. The point is, is that for you to swear at me, Michael, wouldn't require a lot of effort. But for you to send me a text message and to swear at me, or well, what's that message? Would and the point is, is that Gavin, uh, Gavin Williamson is is arrogant. He uh, he's always has been, and the messages that he sent to the then Chief Whip Wendy Morton are horrible. And I think the problem is, is that although Rishi Sunak, I think. His personal ratings is okay at the moment. I think his decision making um, is going to be called into a question. And I think by bringing Williamson back into the uh, cabinet, there's a good example of it. What's his
0: job? What is he actually doing he's, in the cabinet? Apparently, you can't find out. He's there's a minister no without information portfolio. He's a government website. Yeah, minister without. What does that even mean? Yeah. It's another another grubby deal, just like the grubby deal to bring Suella Braverman back into the cabinet, where she's th- basically throwing red meat to the Tory backbenches because she's supposedly tough on immigration. I, honestly, I, I despair. I Absolutely despair. Williamson was a shocking education secretary. Yeah, he was. I worked yeah. in the higher education sector at the time. I was working in clearing at the university, volunteering to help students find whether they had a university place because there was that whole debacle about A level results being cancelled. Uh, a levels being cancelled. Honestly absolutely shocking that he's even in politics. Apparently he wasn't even a very good fireplace salesman either no, before he came into
1: politics. No, no, it, I, I, like I say, it's uh, very easy, very hard to defend Williamson because because he's been sacked from two cabinets yep. before. He put the knife in on Theresa May, he put the knife in on Boris. Maybe that's not so bad. He got
0: sacked from the government as defence secretary for leaking stuff to the allegedly, Daily, allegedly. daily Telegraph. Well, Theresa May sacked him based on that evidence. There's no yeah. allegedly about it. He was sacked from the government. That is a material fact.
1: Okay, so if we uh, move the conversation forward from Williamson, who we're not going to call Sir um, Williamson, you want to come on this show to defend yourself again? Yep. You know, can't say we don't give a uh, you know a good chance of right to reply. We fast forward November the seventeenth, which is next week, uh, the Chancellor's autumn statement. Everything, every question that you ask at the moment is being, we can't say anything, you'll have to wait until the autumn statement. Michael, we've uh, had a good success record recently of predicting stuff. What can we predict, or what will you predict, is going to happen at this autumn statement?
0: I think they're going to be spending cuts right across all departments. I think the government is softening up everybody for some fairly brutal cuts. I think the interest rate uh, hike as well has made people feel particularly gloomy and almost ready for more bad news. And yet, strangely, I think they will try to spin it that the cuts don't have to be as bad as they thought they were going to be. I expect I expect something quite interesting on Northern Powerhouse Rail. My initial thoughts were that it would definitely be cancelled. I think they're going to throw an open offer to the, to local government in the north of England, to the Metro mayors, to say, if you can find an elaborate way to unlock land value increases as a result of northern powerhouse rail maybe you can help to contribute to the cost of getting it built i think something something like that might happen um, but maybe i'm just a, a, ascribing too much intelligence and insight to to this government than they probably deserve
1: well last week northern powerhouse rail mark harper the transport secretary and the business secretary basically said that um, hinted it wasn't going to go ahead um, I can't see it going ahead in its current format there's no there's no way when you're trying to save yeah. 50 billion yeah. they said and what's
0: the point didn't
1: they yeah yeah absolutely yeah. what's the point in boring holes through the Pennines um, which is very very short-sighted I mean I, it took me nearly two hours to get from Chorley into Manchester today so we're talking about it's we're talking of a bit of rail
0: strike so there's yeah, more
1: people driving in exactly but but to be fair it normally takes an hour and a half but today was even more horrendous than normal so when we talk about leveling up I can't get from Chorley to Manchester in less than two hours which is a joke. Um, so in terms of Northern Powerhouse Rail, no great surprise that um, that it won't happen as they predicted or as they said in their manifesto in 2019. Nobody believed Liz Truss when she said she would, uh, when she was doing her leadership hustings, that she would complete Northern Powerhouse Rail. Incidentally, um, her hustings took 60 days and she was in office for 45 days. Um, <laughs> now the North has uh, definitely got the thin end of the wedge when it comes to high speed too. Um, I think of more immediate concern is the Avante West Coast and Transpannine Express continues to be an absolute shambles. The Guardians North of England editor Helen Pidd tweeted last week that the best chance for Northern Powerhouse Rail was with a Labour government uh, with Leeds MP Rachel Reeves as a chancellor. The one thing I will say is that I am starting to come around to the conclusion that, bearing in mind most of our elected mayors in the region are Labour, the best chance of stuff happening for the North would be with a Labour government giving more power to these Labour mayors. That,
0: that didn't tend to happen that much under the Labour government from ninety seven to 2010. There was a number of instances. I remember um, going along to a rally that Richard Lees organised where they... They were holding up banners saying move over Darling because Alistair Darling cancelled um, funding for Metrolink expansion and Manchester went through an absolutely tortuous uh, referendum on introducing a congestion charge in order to pay for a massive uplift in bus lanes, transport improvements, and an expansion of Metrolink, which ended up happening anyway. But Manchester didn't take the uh, take the hit of having a congestion charge imposed. So they didn't always get such a great deal out of a Labour government. I wouldn't hinge too much on that. But just because they were Labour-run Labour, Labour yeah. run councils, I, I see the, the point that you're trying to make. What I think is really interesting here is... That The cat was out of the bag, really, when you quoted Grant Shapps earlier as saying, you know, what's the point in digging a hole under the Pennines? Because they see things like Northern Powerhouse Rail as kind of a a sop to the north, something like a a charity, um, an act of grace from Westminster to do something for those peasants up there in the north. Whereas actually, it's good sound investment in public transport to take more cars off the road, to take more petrol cars off the road, And this brings us on really nicely, I think, to the whole issue about COP27 and the kind of behaviour change as a society that we're going to have to start thinking about doing. Reducing um, polluting air transport, reducing the use of fossil fuels in our national grid and our energy system, and of course reducing the number of petrol vehicles, both public transport and trains uh, in in our public transport system. And yet that requires a long-term vision, whereas at the moment, short-termism just seems to be absolutely normalised and baked into everyday
1: government policy. But what do you think? No, I, I, you're talking... That's the problem with politics generally. Um, I mean, I was watching... Uh, looking at Alistair Campbell, who's was getting quite irate over the weekend. I don't know if that was because Bernie got beat 5-2 by Sheffield United. Did but, they? Yeah. You, what was the score again? <laughs> 5-2. If uh, You can tell Alistair that. Um, he'll obviously know. But, but in terms of... If you look at... If you look, back, but he was talking about the fact that he was trying to think about what the and you touched on it earlier what the government had done in the last twelve years and probably likely to be fourteen years. It's very difficult to pin your hat to anything that they've they've actually done tangible. Yeah, I got, think it's, got
0: Brexit done. Yeah,
1: yeah, badly. Yeah, but in terms of the the climate and in terms of what's happening, I was listening uh, on the radio this morning, listening to uh, a podcast um, Westminster Hour, which I always enjoy, and they were talking about the number of licences that have been given to North Oil. And, yeah. and, 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 uh, the labor, um, the labor, uh, MP who they had on, um, it was Annalise Dobbs. She, she was saying that, you know, we need to, to go to, you know, green energy, which obviously everybody like nods the cap to and says, yes, we do. But actually no one's willing to grab the bull by the horns and actually commit to doing it because it's a much more of a long-term project, even though in the long run, it'll yeah. be cheaper. Same with nuclear. Yeah.
0: A proper commitment to nuclear. And yet that's another public. Investment that's being questioned that might not happen.
1: And I think it's very easy, though, for Labour at the moment to be on the sidelines shouting at the government. And interestingly, well, and they are know, the opposition. The, they are the opposition. Yes, they are. But it's very easy to shout at the government uh, of the day. Uh, and if you look at Twitter over the weekend, as I have done, there seems to be this concerted effort among the main people within the Labour Party just to take to Twitter and uh, shout at the Conservative Party. Do you well, think well, that's, their now, job. That, that's their job? That is their job. But their job is also coming up with alternatives. Well, and well,
0: well, what is a green? New, what's the green New Deal all about? What's about committing to having a, a national green energy company? What's about the commitment to wind turbines on our on our
1: coastlines? But do you think? Do you think they're putting you know enough policies forward at the moment?
0: Yeah, I do. Um, I was lucky enough last week to have a meeting with Lucy Powell, who's the Shadow Culture Secretary, and I'm not saying that just for a name drop, Chris. Genuinely. So just to take her her policy area in microcosm. So we were meeting with an, an, some um, tech leaders from really leading Manchester technology businesses. And L- Lucy Powell was sort of letting the, the, the group know about some really interesting initiatives. Jim O'Neill's doing a whole commission on startups. There's, um, there's, there's the, the digital version of Labour's industrial strategy, which Jonathan Reynolds, the shadow business secretary, has uh, released at Labour Party conference. And if you think if that level of engagement is going on on detailed policies, yeah, just in her policy brief, then you've got to think logically, that's going on right across Keir Starmer's shadow team. West Streetin, street no doubt, will be doing the same sort of thing in the national health services as, as health secretary and on it goes. So I think they are at least trying to make all the right connections, to make some smart policy choices so that when they are elected, that they hit the ground running. And if I've got one one criticism of the Labour front bench, it's actually to hold Rishi Sunak Rishi Sunak a bit tighter to account for some of the mistakes he made during the pandemic.
1: You just mentioned digital, um, yeah, running a, a plus. Publish- well, that's, that's a home question. Yeah, absolutely. Here. Yeah, absolutely. Published an interview today actually with. Um, there's a business in Manston, not far from here, called Connect One. They're a data business. They're set up by two brothers, uh, Richard and Nick Mehe. And they raised £93 million in Series A investment not so long ago. One of the investors is GP Ballhound, um, fantastic, uh, fantastic organization as well. They want to be a unicorn business, which would give them a valuation of a billion US. Now, they're a fantastic business run by really focused, the most focused people I've ever met in my life. And they want to set up a business here in Manchester um, because there aren't enough. You know unicorns up here in the northwest, um, but that will happen because of them. It won't happen because of any state intervention as well. Uh, but we do well, need to. You,
0: you say that. I mean, Manchester has not become a place where businesses like that want to raise capital and build a business by accident. You know that has been government policy to, first of all, relocate the BBC here and particularly their. Um, their digital and tech team to Media City. There's also been the relocation of the uh, special people, Taps Nose, GCHQ. Yeah. They're based here in Manchester, which has in itself added to the tech cluster. And you know there is a clustering of tech businesses. That you know policies by our universities to encourage more people to come to come here. You know I think you know don't, don't decry the efforts of of both of local government and of Manchester's um, leaders over the
1: years to um to to attract businesses here that
0: okay. there has been you know uh, a local state intervention, at least.
1: Fair point, fair point. Um, but but fundamentally, what it will come down to, it'll come down to the founders, you know, but you do need to have the circumstances around it to attract them in the first place. Indeed. Just, just you know, we talked about this last week, didn't we, in our special edition, which is still
0: available to download, where we spoke with Dave Foreman from Pretura Ventures, who pretty much spoke to that agenda, didn't he? 100%. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a short break, and after the break, we're going to be talking about Think Tanks. Think Tanks.
1: Welcome back to Northern Spin after that short interval. Now the issue of think tanks has shot up the agenda. After a think tank was largely blamed for Liz Truss's disastrous mini budget, Michael, I want you to go back to basics. Explain what think tanks are, and actually there'll be people listening to this podcast. They'll be thinking, "What's you know think tanks got to do with mm. us here in the north?" But actually. It has everything to do with the North and everything to do in each and every one of us because we'll be paying for the consequences of it for years to come. So just tell us what they are and why they're so important, Michael.
0: Okay, so think tanks are typically small organisations of researchers who will – made up of very clever people who operate in that space between politics, academia, sometimes with big business as well, in researching ideas that could uh, transform society – Um, They span the political spectrum and the think tanks that you were referring to earlier were things like the Taxpayers Alliance, the Institute of Economic Affairs, who had an undue influence. And it's where Liz Truss used to work, actually. Um, And they had had an undue influence on a small state policy, which they were actively encouraging, where a lot of their ideas were fermenting for many years and... Now, the other thing about think tanks where you said people are worried about them is that it's never always very clear where them where their funding comes from. So the ones at 55 Tufton Street in London, the suspicion is that they're funded by what's called dark money. So that'll be oil companies, tobacco companies, high net worth individuals who have a vested interest in being kind of moving between nation states and always on the hunt for a low tax regime. They'll be crossover with... Right-wing think tanks in the US, like the Heritage Foundation, people who were very prominent in Donald Trump's um, administration. But you know, I've worked with think tanks from right across the political spectrum. From when I when I worked at Manchester Met University.
1: Yeah, I think one is, of the that, issues... is that okay? I've summed it up. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think I think that's a fair point. We spoke about Liz Truss actually, um, and I think one of the problems that you highlighted with her is that she never had any empathy. And the problem is, if you surround yourself in a think tank where everyone thinks they're more intelligent than you are, then you do get you come across yeah. as condescending. Um, but, but it's not just a right wing, is it, you know, in terms of think tanks as well? I mean, they can be much more centralist as well. Yeah. And, you know, are there left wing versions? And they're not, just, they're not just based in London, are they? Well, mostly,
0: yeah. I'd say probably 90% of all think tanks in this country are based in Westminster, in and around London. So... I'll, t- I'll talk about the ones that I had some involvement with. In fact, it was a the reform think tank. We I I I ran a, a, a pseudo think tank at Manchester Met University called Metropolis, which was a way of projecting really intelligent researchers in the university to work and have a policy impact because the university then gets points towards its uh, research excellence framework standing. So it's one of the metrics by which universities are measured. And We partnered with a think tank called Reform, which was centre right. They were particularly interested in education policy, but we were looking at um, reforming the criminal justice system when Liz Truss was justice secretary and she came and spoke at an event that we did at the Radisson Hotel in Manchester. We also worked with Bright Blue, which was a think tank that was particularly interested in energy policy. So we arranged for Amir Ghaffar, who's a really lovely guy who runs the Hydrogen Fuel Cell Innovation Centre at the university. And that provides um, people with an interest in influencing policy within universities to partner with influential thinkers within political parties and who who ministers might listen to. So it was a good way of getting... um, think think tanks will provide a platform for which researchers can share time and space and headspace with government ministers, which we did on both occasions. Um, There's also a socially progressive one called the RSA, which originally was called the Royal Society of Arts, of which I'm a fellow. Mm. Uh, IPPR North is based in Manchester. They they have a seat up here. Uh, That's an offshoot of the Institute of Public Policy Research. That's typically was set up by... Uh, allies of tony blair in the uh, in the 90s um, that's much more left wing even than mainstream labor thinking and there's also a think tank called the center for local economic strategies based here in manchester it was um, founded by I don't know who it was founded by, but it used to be run by a very affable and colourful character called Neil McEnroy, a very uh, gregarious Scotsman who's now um, now based up in Scotland. And and they've really, really pioneered a way of economic thinking
1: called um, community wealth building. See, my my think my thinking on think tanks, if that doesn't sound too repetitious, no, no, is if you look at Wikipedia, which is obviously where I search yeah. for most of my yeah. stuff, there are 200 think tanks listed. Now, um, that's not to say that every one of them is valid. I don't know. The problem with think tanks is that they're, they're not transparent. Um, and it, in many ways, they're just they're just lobbyists, aren't they? Um, yeah. I've listened to countless podcasts about 55 Tufton Street recently. And you can see how much they've influenced economic policy. I mean, the Taxpayers Alliance, Global Warming Policy Foundation, the Institute for Economic Affairs. The Institute for Economic Affairs, I think, was the one that was closely linked to yeah. Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng. Now, they don't say where their funding comes from. The problem is, is that when politicians base economic strategy on the, the workings of these think tanks, um, then, then, and then it goes wrong, then we're left to deal with the consequences. And it's really interesting how the Institute of Economic Affairs have tried to distance themselves away from what happened with uh, Kwasi and mini-budget. Mm. My biggest problem with organizations like the Taxpayers Alliance, and it's something that Alistair Campbell tweeted about this weekend, is that they're reported in the mainstream press as being like neutral, yeah. and they're reported as being impartial, but they're not, because they've got a vested interest. But yeah. you don't know what their vested interest is because they don't actually say where their funding yeah, comes the, from. Who
0: are, the, who, who are they an alliance of, I think is a fair question. To be absolutely fair, the um, the Sainsbury family are quite open about the, the fact that they fund a lot of these centre-left think tanks in particular, and... Many of the progressive ones make an absolute virtue about, of the facts of who they're funded by. And they publish their accounts. They publish who, who sponsors different pieces of research. Sometimes it's very directly in favor of a campaign. I'll give you one, one really good example. There was a think tank called, called Respublica, um, run by a very interesting character called Philip Blonde. They did a piece of work called Devo Mank. Yeah. And that directly led to influencing George Osborne, David Cameron on conservative policy to devolve so much more power to Manchester um, When in, in about 2013, 14. It contributed to that whole northern powerhouse thing. And that, that the funding for that was supplied by Bruntwood, who were obviously a property
1: company here in Manchester, who had a vested interest in supporting that agenda. I think you raise a really interesting point there, which actually the term think tank has become quite toxic at the moment. And actually there are some think tanks that we don't like, but there are some think tanks doing some good work as well.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And I th- I've tried to be fair across the political spectrum. There was a really decent report actually published by a centre-right think tank um, that the guy who runs it, whose name escapes me for the moment. They did a really good report on devolution and the opportunity for mayors, which obviously I'm interested in that because I did my own academic work on it. Um and the guy who runs it, Will Tanner, I think his name is, is, is rumoured to be going to join Rishi Sunak as he's head of policy.
1: Okay, watch this, uh, watch this space. Now, that was a big, that was a deep, uh, deep dive. We're going to go for a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Gary Neville <sighs> and my attempts. You met Gary this week, actually, or last week. And uh, my attempts to become uh, even more northern.
0: welcome back to the third segment this is the light-hearted slot this is the fun bit this is the fun bit of the northern spin podcast so chris we're going to talk about gary neville in a minute but he was at the talk talk northwest women in tech awards that i was at in manchester last week what a filthy night that was it absolutely hammered it down um andy burnham was there on stage as well um gary was the presenter he um he got a car straight away afterwards to go down to london to record have i got news for you
1: yeah, I was really pleased actually um, that you mentioned that because Joe Sheeran, uh, KPMG, won Mentor of the Year, and I, when I became the editor of Northwest Insider, following in your footsteps, the first thing I did was create a list of top fifty women in uh, women in tech or women in business actually, and then that grew to a hundred, and then by the time I left, we were getting two, three hundred nominations. And it's, I'm so pleased that TalkTalk, Talk, you know, Manchester-based company um, hosted that event and organized the event. And, and I'm so pleased that Joe and some of the other companies who won as well, I mean, Becky Taylor from um, Tech Returners, she was, uh, she won two awards actually. Well,
0: Naomi Timperley won something because she gave me a bouquet of flowers and said, that suits you so much better than it suits me. Yeah. Take them home to your gorgeous wife. Because well, Naomi really loves my Rachel, no, she as does. I do.
1: And, and and she loves this podcast as well. Now, <laughs> I want to talk about Gary Neville because uh, Gary Neville, you know, went to uh, to host an episode of Have I Got News For You, challenged by Ian Hislop uh, over his decision. He was really walking into the lion's den with yeah, that, wasn't it? Given absolutely, his... absolutely. Because, you know, you wouldn't need to be a rocket scientist to work out that if you're going to host that event, and Ian Hislop and Paul Merton are going to be, you know, on either side of you. Um, you're going to be asked about your decision to commentate on the Qatar owned to uh, be in sports at the forthcoming World Cup as well. Yeah. Um, I watched stuff on Twitter. He got absolutely hammered on Twitter, Gary Neville, yeah, because that. they showed that snip, um, sort of snippet. I wanted to watch the whole show. I wanted to see how he came across uh, as well. He looked nervous, I'll be honest, as anybody would be in that situation. I give him huge respect for doing it because think about Gary Neville, like him or loathe him. And I like him actually, um, but I think he's, uh, he, he takes himself out of his comfort zone and he's, he's willing to risk failure in order to, to, to get his point across as well. And people will deride his decision. I think what's really telling, though, is that I, I cannot believe he will not go to Qatar and he will not raise some of these issues about human rights uh, and some of the other things that we've spoken about before. I mean, did you see the show? Did you see his clip? What did you think? I, it? I've, se- I've seen the clips uh, where Ian Hislop's
0: basically tearing him a new one over his decision to to go to the World Cup. And I thought his defense was pretty limp, to be honest with you. He didn't really stand up for himself. He probably got a bit tongue-tied in the face of comic geniuses who've been doing it all their lives. Um, I felt a bit sorry for him, to be honest with you. But he's made that decision and he's got to take it on the chin, hasn't he?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but but uh, I mean, the World Cup's only what less than two weeks away now. So I'm still not enthusiastic no, about it no. at all. But I think it will be a distraction. for But, but what's you, going you on.
0: mentioned you know that he'll use that opportunity to criticise the fact that the World Cup's been in Qatar and that people have died building those stadiums and all the rest of it. You know, the World Cup was in Russia. Did that make 4 years ago did that make Russia more accountable more open a freer society more democratic no it had the opposite effect it emboldened vladimir putin to think that he could literally hide in plain sight the fact that he was um that he was bullying his own people and was you know cracking his knuckles ready to go and
1: invade one of his neighbors well that's a seamless segue into our next thing I'm going to talk about my attempts at becoming more northern you know as i mentioned before i come from kent so people say to me hey what football team do you support and I used to say well there's only one league team in Kent that was Gillingham that were miles away from where we lived I used to follow non-league football, used to follow Dover Athletic. were Maidstone in the league at one point? Yeah they were, yeah yeah they had and they, Peter Taylor was a manager sh- for a short period of time and they used to be, that was a real derby that was, I think they used to play Dartford against Maidstone right. um, oh, Dover against Maidstone, we had about two and a half thousand people there but but um, the reason I mention it for is that I live in Chorley so within a ten mile radius of Chorley you've got Burnley, you've got Blackburn you know, you've got Accrington, it, not further not not much further forward. you've got Rochdale you've got Premier League clubs like Liverpool uh, and Everton and you missed Manchester. Preston North End Preston North End are even closer as well you know now we went uh, to, to watch Tramere Rovers versus Stockport County and um, we can disagree over whether or not it was a good game or not I thought it was lacking in real clear cut chances spoke to Mark Palios who is the uh, chairman of uh, Tramir Rovers proper footballing guy he, he used to be a- chief executive of the FA didn't he he did yeah he really did. interesting he bloke he, he runs a club with his wife actually and and actually they don't need to run Tramier Rovers they absolutely don't and I, and I said to him I said uh, what you I mean because he's done well enough in business well, I just think he's I think he's either 70 or just about to turn 70 you know he's, he's not doing it for the uh, he's not doing it for, you no. know, for sort of financial gain but I went to watch Tranmere Rovers I went to Tranmere Rovers to watch Liverpool Women's Football Club against Man United about four years ago I can't remember the exact date but it was Man United's first ever competitive match they won 1-0 actually uh, Lizzie Arnott scored a goal from close range extra detail there that I like to go into um, and that pitch was an absolute disgrace the playing surface was was terrible, and they played against Man United men's team Tranmere a couple of years back, and that was terrible as well. Um, it made Harry Maguire's first touch look awful. Um, <laughs> but they've spent a lot of money on that uh, playing surface, and they've dug up all the uh, the drains. That was a fantastic playing surface. I mean, we yeah, it was agree wasn't on it? that.
0: Yeah. yeah, but it's not only the playing surface; it's not only the facilities around the club. It's been a long time since I've been to Prenton Park. And, and obviously, Tranmere in that time have been out of the Football League. They've been in the National League for a while. They got promoted up to League One and then came back down again. But the, the point is, on the Wirral, um, you know, in the shadow of both Liverpool and Everton, two you know, globe, global brands, really, in world football terms, they've got this football club that keeps going. That's the Wirral's team. And fair play to Mark Palios for doing that. Because, you know, when people talk about if they feel that their lives are not as good as they could be, if they feel that somehow opportunities are passing them by, if they think that there are things that they miss about life, that it's not fair, that it's, that life isn't good. The things that they cite are, like losing a post office from your high street or your local pub closing down. And one of them, of course, is if your local football club isn't a visible institution in your in your local area. And they need good schools, good hospitals, but but honestly, a football club is such an important totem in a community. And for that to be embedded in its community, so the women's teams playing there, for mm. instance, that you've seen my lads did their refereeing courses when they were teenagers and they did it in the at the pitches at the side of Prenton Park you know it's a community facility that's been thrown open for people to take part in and i'm sure they've got like kids teams and and community outreach because i think that's you know it's it's providing a real a real totem huge community. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Tramway have got a good a good women's team. I mean, fair credit to Stockport County as well. You mentioned it was a foul day at the Talk Talk Awards. Foul day, uh, at least for the Gain first over half. To the was, yeah, yeah, I mean, fair juice to Stockport County. I mean, they had 1,500, 1,600 fans in that away end and they absolutely sang yeah. They absolutely sang non-stop as well. Yeah, I do, do, do need to mention, uh, I went to uh, Tatton Park. Uh, having been to um, Blackpool Illuminations a previous week, I thought I'd go to the other end of the scale. And I went to Tatton Park. And uh, wow, that's amazing. I mean, I've been there before, but I was given a proper tour around it because previously I only go to one side of it. But I went to the Knutsford side. And uh, that's amazing. I mean, that's... Uh, you can. It's understand. great. It's
0: a, it's a real national treasure for the, for the north of England, isn't it? As are you. Oh. Well, that's very kind, very kind of you to say so, but you know, just on that point again about um, about local football clubs, um, Stockport County, back in the back in the football league. I was working at the town hall when the team came in to collect the trophy and do the open top bus tour, and the whole place was absolutely rocking. Yeah, you know, it makes such a big difference to the confidence of a town. You know, I'd always argue that Stockport is a of the GM boroughs the one that's really, really on the march. It's got a good, had a good strategy. It knows what knows its place, knows its relationship with Manchester. And I think Stockport County has been an important part of that under Mark Stotton, Ken Knott as the, uh, as the leadership. I, I
1: hosted a business event in Leeds about three years ago. And I said, what's the one thing that would put Leeds on the map from a business perspective? And this guy said, Leeds getting back in the Premier League. Yeah. Because what it does is it opens up doors in India and Southeast Asia and yeah. around the world. Definitely does, definitely does. Right, Chris. Um, I really, really
0: want to get you on this Northern cultural tip. So I've asked you um, for, for your next Northern test. Yeah, I'd like I'd like you to read something. So g- give me
1: a hint about what sort of uh, books you like reading, even if it's audio books. Crime fiction, crime fiction. So oh. I'm, I'm listening to uh, Lee Charles The Enemy at the moment. So have you read all the Jack Reacher books? Um, no, he's got about twenty-seven, and I'm on number eight at the moment. But I'm working my way through them. Okay, so basically,
0: I'll tell you, which one are you reading? Uh, the Enemy. Right, he goes to a town, he gets off with the most attractive woman in the town, <laughs> he batters a local town Don't bully. Spoil it for me. And there's a massive scrap. Yeah, absolutely. And then basically, and he doesn't die. Absolutely. That's, right. that's, that's Sorry, have you. I ruined it for yeah, you? you yeah, you've ruined it for yeah, me, yeah. yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, right, if you like crime fiction on a, with a northern tip, I'd like to recommend any of the books um, in the trilogy by David Nolan who's a really good author. You don't have to write them down. I'll tell you they are. I might even lend you my copies of the books. Uh, And also a really fantastic series by Joseph Knox. Um, Used to work in Waterstones in Manchester. Fantastic writer. He's got, um, I think it was actually long listed for the booker, called True Crime Story. Really, really imaginatively, really well written, incredible story. Um, But the Dave Nolan trilogy, they are called Black Moss, Ballad of Hanging Lees and Mermaid's Pool. I'll
1: tell you what I'll do. I'll give it a go because I'm always looking for new authors because uh, my favourite authors, I've now run out of their books. Val
0: McDermid as well. She, a lot no, of her, uh,
1: no, I don't like her. I why don't, not? I, they're t- too, too dark. <laughs> too dark for me. Okay. Yeah. Right.
0: Right, anybody, everybody, that is episode nine of Northern Spin. We're now on Apple Podcast. Please give us a five-star review. You can write one out as well. Um, this has been a, a bit of a bonus one. We've gone on a bit this time.
1: We have, yeah. yeah we have, we've yeah. gone over
0: time. Thanks again to What Media, particularly Sam Picton for recording this podcast. And of course, to our composer, Elliot Taylor, for providing the music. This has been Northern Spin.
1: I'm Michael Taylor. And thanks to Oscar Technology. And my name is Chris McGuire. Thank you.